Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Oh, the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame class for 2023 has got a date for induction. Tuesday, October 3rd at the Lloyd Center Doubletree. Rick Adelman, Mike Riley, LaMichael James, Dale Scott, Larry Sellers, Sherry Saval, Laura Tennant, Mike Clopton, and the Portland Mavericks all going in to the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. Who's the biggest star in that group? Steven, Adel, Rick Adelman, Mike Riley, LaMichael James. I think those are the big names. If we had, like, like, like there's, like, let's say there's 100 people in the room. And they can only really get a picture with one person. How, how many people are going out of that hundred are going over to Rick Adelman, Mike Riley, and Michael James? Who gets more? That, um, I would say Adelman. I would say Adelman, the biggest name, and then Michael, and then Mike Riley. Because hmm. you do have a problem with the, with the former Duck running back and the former Beaver coach. Because if you do the math, if you have a hundred random people from the state of Oregon, you got to think about fifty and fifty are going to be Beaver fan, Duck fan. So it limits the audience right there. And then you have Adelman. I don't know. I that, think it might. I think it might be split. That was kind of my thought. Is that there's going to be more neutral fans to the Blazers, so they may go to Adelman rather than Michael or to Mike Riley. I, Bigger. Who's the biggest star? Who do, like we're putting up the marquee for the event, Judah. Who's the biggest star in that group? Rick Adelman, Mike Riley, LaMichael James, the Portland Mavericks, Mike Clopton, Dale Scott, Sherry Saval, Laura Tennant, Larry Sellers. <laughs> I'm a Portland Mavericks sucker, so <laughs> I, I would go Mavs all day in the uh, the battered bastards of baseball all, all, all day on that. But Mike Dunleavy's up there. I was the first, like, you know, Adelman was a little bit before me, but, um, you know. I grew up with that ninety eight, ninety nine, you know, turn of the century Blazer team as uh, as reputable as they were. So I think Mike Dunleavy Senior is up there for sure. All right, my I I think uh, Lamichael James. If I'm putting up the marquee, I put Mike Riley, Lamichael James, and Rick Adelman on the marquee, and I try to fit all three names. They're all in this class. All in this class. That's loaded. They are uh, inducting them. And I uh, just got the word from the uh, Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. No, but you're not going to hear it anywhere faster. Tuesday, October 3rd. Well, LaMichael was, LaMichael set records at Oregon. That's the thing. Like, he, uh, you know, we talk, that's why I kind of want to go LaMichael first over Adelman. Adelman may be the wrong answer. Maybe LaMichael because of what he did there, where Mike Riley just kind of, you know, controlled the whole legacy there. Depends how old the audience is, too. That's you got 100 people. If your average person is like 70, you might have more for Rick Adelman. You might, because that's going to be somebody who was like in their uh, 40s or 50s when Adelman was doing his thing. Mike Riley, Beaver fan, diehard Beaver fan's going to love that. And Michael James, diehard Duck fan's going to love that. Dale Scott getting no love from the audience today. Former Major League Baseball crew chief and umpire. He's going in the Hall of Fame as well. So good class. I've tweeted it out if you want to see it. Uh, on that note, I want to go to Spencer McLaughlin. He is uh, uh, an insider covering Oregon football. He hosts a podcast, Locked on Ducks, Locked on the Pac-12. I have a question for him. Biggest star in that group. We can only put one name on the marquee. 
whose name are we putting up there? Well, I'm a young guy, John, so I'm going to go with Michael James. That's my favorite Oregon football player ever, but you won't hear me underselling Dale Scott, who I met at an Oregon tailgate down in Eugene many, many years ago, and I thought was a, a wonderful guy and told me a, an awesome story about uh, an experience he had with Boston Red Sox fans at Fenway Park and uh, some unsavory words that were sent in his direction after a stint behind home plate. So I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Those were the two names that, that stood out the most to me. Mike Riley, uh, of course, you know, I grew up a, a, as a kid watching the Ducks and rooting for them and going against Mike Riley teams, and they were nothing but uh, pesky and well-coached and had some really good players. So uh, definitely some heavy hitters there. But you said not a lot of love to Dale Scott, and I thought to myself, well, goodness gracious, we can't we can't let that happen. Can't let that happen, yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit on that note. If we're going to talk legacy, and I want to start this conversation by talking a little bit of legacy, Oregon's had some really good quarterbacks that have played at Oregon and gone on to the NFL, and there's some guys of you know yesteryear of the 60s like Bob Barry, obviously Norm Van Brocklin. You go back to, uh, you know, you can go back to Dan Fouts, Achilles Smith. Uh, you can bring up Dennis Dixon and Justin Herbert, certainly. Um, Joey Harrington. Marcus Mariota, what are we going to do with Bo Nix? Where is he right now in the stratosphere of quarterbacks who have played at Oregon all time in your mind, and and what's the ceiling for him? Well, I I think he's certainly a lot closer to the top than uh, the bottom for sure. And if you look at transfer quarterbacks that have come in in the last seven, eight years for the Ducks, you know, Dakota Prukop is at one end, Vernon Adams and Bo Nix are certainly at, at the other end of it, and you know, I've heard Duck fans for the last couple of years clamor for uh, developing a quarterback and recruiting a guy, and then at the same time, the narrative flips on Ty Thompson when he doesn't work out right away. And you know, I, I thought Ty Thompson showed some real signs of growth and promise in that game. Granted, it was against Portland State, but you know, for for Bo Nix, I, I think in the minds and hearts of Oregon fans, I, I don't know if you can get above. Marcus Mariota and Justin Herbert, not just because both will have started at least one more season uh, than Bo did for for the Ducks or will have done by the time his career ends after this season. And, and, you know, Mariota, the first Heisman winner, Herbert, the hometown kid from Sheldon, and ending with a Rose Bowl win. I I think it could depend on, you know, where Bo Nix leads this Oregon team in, in 2023, how he plays and how he performs. But uh, you know, what, where he really won me over last year, John, was that game against Utah. I mean, there are a lot of quarterbacks in the country, and I couldn't have blamed them, who would have sat out uh, not just a Power 5 football game, but against one of the best defenses in the country year in and year out in Utah. And he went out there on one leg, and he gave us everything he had. And I, I think he won over a lot of uh, a lot of Oregon fans that day. He certainly did it sooner. But I think all time, it's a, it's a tough list to crack. You know, I, I have an affinity for Darren Thomas, like, few people I know. I think he's probably the most underrated Oregon quarterback, maybe player uh, in my lifetime uh, for, for the Oregon football program. Like uh, that, that guy's football IQ was just off the charts, and all he did was make plays, run the offense, do whatever what needed to be done. Um, and he won, what was it, uh, 23 games in two seasons, and uh, that's, that's going to be a tough benchmark for, for Bo Nix to reach this year, though perhaps not an impossible one. So uh, those are the guys that right now, I, I'd say off the top of my head, um, would would be squarely above him for me. Uh, you know, Mariota one, Herbert two, and, and I, I'd have Darren Thomas three. If Bo gets us to the playoffs, then 
maybe he could work his way in there because he and Thomas would both have started two seasons for the Ducks. But uh, those are the three guys that I'd put ahead of him right now. And then you go back before my time, and you're talking about guys like Joey Harrington, Achilles Smith. It, it becomes a pretty tough list to, to crack inside the top five. You know, for people who are on carpool duty tonight who will just be kind of, uh, you know, meandering around as they're taking their kids to practices or picking up, you know, they, they may hear this conversation and they may go like, hey, what are we talking about? If the guy wins a Heisman Trophy, doesn't that put him in the room with Mariota? Doesn't it put him in front of Herbert? Doesn't it put him in front of Joey Harrington? Uh, it, it, it certainly would, would bolster his argument. You have to look at the likelihood of that actually coming to fruition. Um, if, if he were to win the Heisman Trophy, to me that means Oregon has made the college football playoff. And, yeah, that, that might leap him in front of Darren Thomas in the eyes of some. But, you know, Thomas competed in uh, a, a different era. And, again, I, I might be higher on Darren Thomas than a lot of other Oregon fans that, that are out there. I, I just I grew up with him, and he was – so awesome you know there was a whole uh, debacle and controversy with Masoli leaving the team and we didn't know what was going to happen and Thomas came in and put our fears to rest uh, pretty pretty quickly when we walked out of Tennessee in 2010 with what was I think like a 42 to 13 win or, or something like that and Thomas played well so I, I think he can certainly elevate his status in terms of where he ranks in the all-time Oregon quarterbacks list um, but I, I, I don't know that even Unless he won a national championship, I, I don't know how he could get over uh, Mariota and Herbert. And for some people, that they'd say, you know, Achilles Smith or Joey Harrington are guys that are that are firmly cemented in front of him too. I've heard people talk about the Heisman Trophy like it's lingerie, like you know it's off to the side, and you know it's one of those additional accessories, and you love it if you know if you're a football player who can put that hardware in the in the trophy case, great. But it's not, you know, it's not an essential. In this conversation, and, you know, I want to talk a little bit, too, about, you know, the guy that's going to suit up for Texas Tech. Uh, for people who ha- has saw Tyler Shuck play, it was kind of a weird fiesta bowl. In your mind, does he come into this game against Oregon on Saturday at in Lubbock with a little extra for the Ducks because of how it went down? I don't think so, no, because that was a different staff that, you know, deemed him not successful enough to be the starting quarterback that, entire coaching staff and most of the players frankly have uh, have gone in different directions for various reasons and I, I i think for shuck and what we learned about him at oregon uh I, I don't think he's somebody who thinks that way i'm sure he does a little bit but i, I don't think it's a driving factor for him motivationally to try and put on a good display uh this saturday in lubbock i think his focus is hey our team's oh and one and we were not expecting to be oh and one and we shouldn't have been Oh and one, and he, he's going to do everything that he uh, can to get them back in uh, playing the, the sort of football people thought they were capable of before the season started. We're talking to Spencer McLaughlin, Locked On Ducks, Locked On the Pac-12 podcast. What's a successful Saturday for Oregon? Is it simply winning the game on the road, coming home two and zero, or are there style points here that are necessary in the long term against a Big Twelve team that lost to Wyoming? I think there is an element of, of needing some style points to feel good, but it, it's early in the season. Bill Belichick's teams historically play their best football as the year goes on. Uh, now Andy Reid's teams also play really good football in the beginning of September. 
Um, they also tend to play really good football in November, December, January, and February too. So that, that's uh, kind of a moot point there. But I, I think for for the Ducks, you know, I'm watching the defense more than the offense. I, I really uh, feel confident about what Oregon brings to the table offensively. I thought Will Stein did exactly what we wanted him to uh, on on Saturday against Portland State and. I think he's got plenty of talent, plenty of weapons, and you know experience as a play caller to go in and put up points on a Texas Tech defense. They'll present more of a challenge than Portland State did for sure. But you know, if this is a game, given what we saw in Laramie on on Saturday, you know Tyler Shuck threw the ball 47 times and he was sacked three times. If Oregon doesn't sack him or isn't generating pressure in that game against a team that, you know, might have been slightly overhyped, but I still think can be a 7-8 win football team in 2023. If they can't do that against Texas Tech, I don't know what Michael Penix is going to do to him this year up in Seattle after he went for over 400 at Austin Stadium in, in 2022. So I, I look at that element of it and say, okay, you should have multiple sacks. You should be able to pressure Tyler Shuck. And if you can't, that that is – you know, a, a caution sign at the very least. Maybe not a red flag, but a yellow flag uh, for the Ducks going forward. If they can't make him uncomfortable, and he's going to be throwing the football, you know, at least 30, probably 40 to 45 times. Spencer, uh, you know, Dan Lanning, you look back at last year and you say 10 wins, nice start, nice season, but then you look at the losses to Washington, the loss to Oregon State, um, you know, the Utah game, you give them the, because they MacGyvered their way through that. But I feel like he's got something to prove this year, and this is one of these games. Am I putting too much on this game? It's one of the games. I don't think it's the game that, that's going to define it, but it's certainly one that you, you would like to see Oregon be able to go down and win and not have to sweat it out in the very final moments and rely on a missed field goal or a fourth down stop or something like that. You know, I, I think Oregon will be able to, go go down to Lubbock and, and come out with a victory. I think that, you know, what we saw during the eight-game winning streak is a lot closer to what the Oregon team was a year ago than what we remember most memorably in the worst way, which is the collapses against Washington and Oregon State. So I, I think that the Ducks will be able to go down and do it. But, I mean, if they go in and lose this game, it's, it, it's not great, but you – can't define an entire season in in one week you you have to look at the entire body of work and you know for Oregon fans it's the most memorable part of last year was the were were the bad parts and it was the you know not being able to stop the run against the bees not being able to stop the pass against Washington not making adjustments in either game defensively and I think Oregon fans really easily and I've fallen victim to this for for sure because it's really easy to do and you know as humans I think we're more inclined to focus on the negative than the positive. We don't think about all the positive things, which is, hey, Drake May's an NFL quarterback, and we didn't let him score a touchdown in in the second half. Hey, Utah the previous year had thumped us twice in two weeks. We held them to 10 points with our defense and gifted them seven points with a stupid play call on offense. Like, those are the sorts of things, the eight-game winning streak where you won games comfortably that you had to sweat out the year prior – there were a lot of encouraging signs for Dan Lanning as a coach. I, I don't think his season is, uh, you know, defined as a head coach or, you know, one way or the other for good or bad uh, down down in Lubbock on Saturday. Yeah, I think I think it's really an interesting thing that you get caught up in the Pac-12 on not having a margin for error. And this year you've got five or six, maybe seven, 
if you include Colorado and UCLA, really good teams that could all beat each other. And I kind of feel, Spencer, that it puts you in a position where none of these good teams can afford a loss in a non-conference game. You can't afford to lose if you're Utah at Baylor. You can't afford if you're Washington to go to Michigan State and lose. You have to hold those games, and you know if you're going to have a mulligan, keep it for a Pac-12 game. That's exactly right, and it's the reason I feel the Pac-12 will miss the playoffs this year. There are too many good teams. The conference schedule is just stacked for everybody. Oregon State's got a favorable schedule, but you know they they still got some tough games in there, and then someone's got to win the conference championship game as well. And you know I don't think we're going to have a TCU who goes 12 and 0 and then can lose the conference title game. So I, I think it's really challenging to see that sort of path for for anybody emerge, at least in my view, that's long been my take and continues to be as I watch the Pac-12 actually, you know, play meaningful football games, which is about as refreshing as a nice cold Arnold Palmer in a 98-degree day <laughs> after all this realignment stuff. I, I look at Oregon and say, yeah, their playoff hopes are on the line this Saturday. That's not underselling it because you and you would then have to win out, and if you're not capable of winning that, that game against Texas Tech, you're not going to win out, and even if you know, they they were to put themselves in a position to do that. I, I just think you'd be asking too much. It'd be really, really challenging. And if, if, if they don't, and this applies to any Pac-12 school, if you lose a non-conference game, nobody's going unbeaten in Pac-12 play. Nobody is winning nine straight Pac-12 games and then the Pac-12 title game. I just don't see that happening. I think there are a lot of really good teams in this conference. I don't think there's a dominant team in this conference. I am... Uh... Really interested to see how many good teams, how many dominant teams there are in college football. I think we're going to find out more, of course, in the coming weeks. Uh, I wanted you to rubberneck a little bit over at some of the other Pac-12 teams. Did anybody look great to you? You know, and and by the way, yeah. I don't know that we I don't know that we know that Oregon's good or great. Like that Portland State game didn't tell me anything. Uh, Utah, if Cam Rising is there, that looks like a pretty great football team. That was. So thoroughly impressive. I think they were the most impressive. You know, Colorado gets all the headlines, but like their their schedule is um, is tough. But their defense is really what's going to you know eventually do them in there. I, I think when you look at Utah and what they bring back offensively, if Cam Rising can get healthy and what they can do defensively, I'm intrigued to watch them against Baylor, Oregon, and Baylor. By the way, I'm sure you realize this, John. They're playing the exact same football game. Playoff hopes on the line, Big 12 team on the road who had an upset loss in week one and are playing to try and save their season from getting off to an 0-2 start. They're playing the exact same, and they're about a six-and-a-half, seven-point favorite. They're playing the exact same college football game, uh, which I find to be fascinating, and I think both should be entertaining games. I think Oregon and Utah get it done in both instances, but um, I think the most impressive Pac-12 team through week one is Utah. There it is, Spencer McLaughlin, Locked on Ducks. You'll hear him here on this show occasionally throughout the season. You can also read him at 750thegame.com. All right, coming up, Anna's going to pop into the studio, but there's some things that I want to talk about on today's show. Among them, like Caleb Williams, his dad gave an interview with GQ Magazine, said he might be better off going undrafted rather than being the number one pick in the NFL draft. Is there truth in that? Plus... Is it possible that college football's split away from the rest of sports could happen sooner rather than later? And what in the world is going on with sports and television? 
So there's some TV programming updates when it comes to... We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.